Welcome to the Optimistic Curmudgeon, where the best ideas win. You're listening to a show that is all about ideas, about the search for wisdom and knowledge through conversation. My guests all have something to say and have the credentials to say it persuasively. Here, the conversation continues. Thank you for joining me for the latest episode of the Optimistic Curmudgeon. Welcome to the Optimistic Curmudgeon, where the best ideas win. I'm your host, Josh Herring. Today, my guest is Pastor Keith Foskey, pastor of Sovereign Grace Family Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Keith tweets at Your Calvinist and has one of the funniest church humor feeds I've ever come across. Keith, welcome to the Optimistic Curmudgeon. Hey, Josh. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being on. Oh, I'm so glad we could get together. Uh, as we were talking about before the before the show, I just uh, I've I've really enjoyed your videos and love how you accurately typecast everybody. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, stereotypes are, are 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 funny and there for a reason. So yeah, yep. definitely making use of that. Yep, for sure. Well, let's start with a little bit of your story. Uh, how did you get into ministry? And uh, to, I'd love to know kind of like how, why you you've stayed at one church for a long time. I know that's a that's a never ending concern in pastoral ministry of getting folks to stick around uh, communities. And you, if I've read your website correctly, you've been at uh, Sovereign Grace Family Church since two thousand six. Yeah, uh, it's actually longer than that. Um, but that's the that's how long I've been the the senior or preaching pastor, whatever you want to call. We we have a plurality of elders, and I'm I'm just the I'm the vocational elder, meaning that I'm the uh, paid staff, the only one of us who is uh, is paid staff. And um, I actually grew up in this church. Uh, I came here when I was seven, so I've been in this church since 1987. <laughs> if that gives you an idea of my age and the le- uh, the length of, of time here, uh, my my mom and dad got a divorce. I met my stepmom, and she introduced me to the church, which was at that time called Forest Christian Church, mm-hmm. but it's the same church as it is now. We just had a name change um, because. Uh, I grew up in the church, didn't get saved until I was 19. But when I did get saved, God never really pointed me in a different direction. He kept sort of keeping me here, even my wife and I getting saved uh, together because she was we, we got we got married at 19, got saved in the same year. She was saved a, a few months before I was. And we both had a desire for this church. We both had a desire to be here for some reason. And even though at the time it, it was sort of a we, we could call it somewhat theologically liberal uh it was it was a little more conservative socially but but liberal theologically and um but i had a desire to preach and so i started preaching some i started teaching some and uh it, god confirmed in my heart a call to ministry and the church afforded me the ability to go to seminary so i went to jacksonville baptist theological seminary which was a um local school and the church paid for it so when I graduated seminary, the 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 pastor who preceded me was ready to retire. And he had been here for 13 years. So he he had a long tenure as well. So he had been here for 13 years. He was ready to retire. And he and I, you know, ministered together for a year where he was the administrative pastor and I was the preaching pastor. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, was, I was only 25. <laughs> and then um, then he retired completely in 2006. And I took the position in 2006. Uh, we went through a time of reformation for the next few years because I was I was becoming a Calvinist. I was learning Calvinistic soteriology and, and, and applying those things to my preaching and understanding of the scriptures. And within the next four or five years, we became a 
reformed confessional church, whereas in 2011, we changed our name to Sovereign Grace Family Church. So longer story than you probably expected, but but that's how it's happened. And I just have never been, I've never been, I've never had a desire to be anywhere else. God has raised me here and, you know, Lord willing, I'll die here. But, um, you know, we don't never know what God's going to do. So, Wow, that's awesome. A um, couple of follow-up questions on that. Uh, first off, just for uh, my 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 audience is uh, probably less theologically astute. So could you could you specify just a little bit what you mean by theologically liberal, and then what what did that uh, movement to being a bit more reformed? What all did that entail? That's a great question. Um, when I say theologically liberal, <clears throat> um, like the church would always have affirmed certain things as sin. Like we think of liberals as people who might affirm things like LGBT or something like that. Th mm -hmm. This church would have always said those things were sinful. That's, you know, those are not things Christians should be doing. But where, where the theologically liberal would be, people didn't really understand the foundations of things like the Trinity and the doctrines like justification by faith alone. And things like that were more, more flexible and sometimes to the point where even heresy was allowed to be brought in. For instance, in the eighties, we had a pastor who didn't even believe in the virgin birth. Oh. So yeah. So we can talk about theologically liberal. That's a theological liberal. That's someone who may be socially conservative and may hold the conservative values, you know, on things like finances or sexuality or things like that. But when it comes to the, 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 you know, whether or not Moses really parted the red sea, mm. that may be a question because they're not holding to a firm understanding of what the scripture teaches. So, so when I say we went through a reformation, the first reformation in our church really was a, a, was a reforming of going back to the biblical standards. I remember a man in our church coming to my home and chastising me for this very early in my ministry, chastising me for some of the things I was preaching. And I said to him, I said, but this is what the Bible teaches. And he says, well, I don't believe the whole Bible. Oh, and I was like, oh, okay. I said, well, then you're in the wrong church. <laughs> and I said, I said, I can throw a stick and hit three churches that, that don't believe the Bible. You're welcome to go there. I said, but we in this church preach and teach mm -hmm. that the Bible is true from beginning to end. And uh, he didn't like that, but I didn't care that. But that but that's that's what I mean by socially liberal. Now, when it comes to Re Reformation, I I was introduced to Reform theology in 2004. I was speaking at a at a, um, a youth camp. And the youth leader was was Calvinistic, and he introduced me to Reformed theology, challenged me on some things. And over a period of about two years, I began to study and, and see that these things, I believe these things are in the scriptures. And so um, became pretty confirmed in my Calvinism within that two, three-year period of study. And I wasn't calling myself a Calvinist. That came later. That actually came as a, as a, as a response to something that happened in our community. There was a local pastor. I walked into a restaurant and the local pastor saw me and he said, that guy's a Calvinist. And I laughed and I said, and, and, and when he realized I heard him, he got embarrassed. And I was like, I was like, I don't care. I, I, you're right. But that's where your Calvinist came from. I just oh, said, I guess, funny. I guess I'm the neighborhood Calvinist. I'm your Calvinist. You know, if you're looking for a Calvinist, I'm your guy. That's sort of where that, okay. you know, so I sign off all of my podcasts with I'm Keith Foskey and I'm your Calvinist. Right. So. That's oh, that's is. great. I love the I love the story behind the handle. Um, tell me a little bit about the I, I'm always interested in institutional change. I mean, I think it's one of the things that is just I, I'm a lifelong Southern Baptist. It's theologically impossible to be born a Southern Baptist, but it's culturally normal. 
that that that's my story. I came to faith when I was eight, but I had been Southern Baptist since before I was born. Um, but I mean, and we're always in this. I feel like we're always we Southern Baptists are always in flux with institutional alignment and development. Uh, my dad raised me with the line that uh, we're always only one generation away from apostasy. Oh, and, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm just I'm really curious about like what what did those four or five years that you described as kind of this reformational period. What did that look like as the preaching elder? I mean, is that is that a lot of firing and hiring or is that just like faithfully preaching and building consensus? Is it a mix or like what 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 practically did that look like from a leadership angle? Um, two, two, two things. We we didn't have staff. Our church has always been small. You know, even now we we only run about 100 people, which is not super small, but it's not anywhere mm-hmm. near big church. You know, it's right in that sort of mid to small church range. Um, and, and, and so it, it, we didn't have a staff that I had to hire or fire anyone. I did have elders that I had to bring along and there were elders who were opposing reform theology that I had to deal with. But, um, the, the, the most difficult thing happened in 2008 when we did have a, we had one secretary, I just said we didn't have staff. We had a secretary. He, he worked twice a week sure. who, who was very opposed to reform theology. And he began to have meetings in his home and try to create a coalition of people to have me removed. In fact, the preacher who called me the Calvinist in the restaurant is one of the preachers that he went to, to, to try to get the, the, the information on Calvinism, you know, you know, Calvin burned Servetus and all this stuff, all these things that were, you know, sort of your anti-Calvinist lines, you know, these are, these are reasons why you should reject Calvinism. And so I had to, I had to, I had to struggle with that. I almost, I almost resigned. I still have my resignation letter. Um, And on the Sunday I was thinking I was going to resign I spoke to Tom Askell a few days before Tom Askell is the head of the founders ministries. Mm-hmm. And Tom gave me some of the best advice I've ever gotten. He said, um, he said, don't quit. He said, make them fire you. He said, but don't quit. He said, if, if they fire you for preaching the gospel, that's their fault. He said, but if you quit, that's your fault. So I said, okay, I'm not going to quit. I'm just going to keep preaching and God will work it out to his glory, however he sees fit. And if he sees fit that that means I get removed, then I get removed. And, um, by God's grace, I'm still here. And, and so there were, there were some times where I had to stand up publicly and, and make some statements that were like, I was accused of believing that babies go to hell. That was probably one of the more controversial things. I don't believe that, but that was, that was one of the things that was, you know, well, Calvinists believe babies are going to hell. So I just held up John MacArthur's book, which says saved without a, a, or or safe in the arms of Christ, which is about infants who die in infancy. I said, well, John MacArthur's a Calvinist and this is what he believes. And so to say (laughs) that all Calvinists believe that is not true. Therefore your argument is not true. So those were, those were little moments of, Mm -hmm you know, having to stand. But, but I, I will say this, I had the best of friends and one of our elders who is still one of my best friends in the world. And he's, he's now 87 or 88 years old. He's um, he was, he was one of my elders who supported me, even though he didn't understand. I remember him asking me, he said, Keith, people say you're a John Calvin believer. What does that mean? <laughs> so he didn't even know what it meant, but he he cared enough about me to mm-hmm. listen to what the word of God taught. He cared enough about me to listen and be um, 
be be willing to stand alongside and see change and see that. And I, I don't think if I had if I had not have had him, I don't think it would have worked the way that it did. I had a, a I had an older man in the congregation who the people trusted, who God was using as a mentor and a mm. partner for me in a time of real change. So if anybody's going through institutional change, if you're if you're struggling with this, I would say one of the most valuable things to have is somebody who the church trusts that that you that that you come alongside of and 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 partner with and 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 help them to to catch the idea of the vision that you have so that they can help you see it become a reality. Sure. I, I as you're describing that, I'm remembering a uh, seminary professor who had this line. He worked into every class. I I did my MDiv at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and uh, this professor's line was. Uh, most new pastors overestimate what they will accomplish in five years and vastly underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 years. Amen. And that's, I, I just, I, I took that one to heart. It's like, there's, there's a lot of value in being in a place and being there for a long time. And over time, the longer you're in that place, the, the more you can see what's possible. But I was like, in my, my space in education, I think it's definitely true that just like, oh my goodness, you're a brand new teacher and you think you're going to change the world and you really just need to learn all of your kids' names. <laughs> yeah. But once you've yeah. been in a classroom for five or six years, you just start to see there's so much more you can do and you see how these small changes uh, make so much impact over time. So I, I appreciate you being willing to tell that story. That's that's fascinating. I love kind of, that's a I mean, there are plenty of folks who who get rightly sacked out of ministry for being unfaithful or for being unbiblical. Uh, but I, I love hearing stories of men who are just faithful to Scripture and and are in it for the long haul. Amen. So um, let's uh, let let's shift gears a little bit though, because we we initially got together not to uh, not to not to hear church war stories. So those are great. Uh, I want to talk about your your denominational videos. Uh, so how how on earth did you what, what was the impetus behind making these videos? What was how did you come up with this idea? Um, I have a very funny wife, and I, I, I usually say that right out of the gate. Uh, this was all her idea, and uh, it started as we've had a podcast for three years called Conversations with a Calvinist, and um, it, it 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 never was super popular, but I had a small audience, and and one day we started noticing that the short videos were catching on. See, we would do an hour long podcast and it was hard to get an audience for that. And um, we wanted to try to increase our audience. I mean, it's what everybody does, right? We all want to have people who hear what we have to say. And so, I mean, to be honest, right. We, we you, you want us. Yeah. So, um, so she was watching these short videos on, on it was, it was when YouTube shorts first came out and then, mm -hmm. um, uh, because of TikTok's popularity, we saw that. And she said, we should do a short video and, and maybe that would drum up some attention for the podcast. I said, that's a good idea. Let's write some ideas down. So we wrote a few ideas down and I, and I did a few like top five books I've ever read or things like that. Little one minute mm -hmm. videos that were good um, and got some, got a little bit of attention. But one day we were joking and we said, what would be funny is if all the denominations came to a meeting and had a conversation. So I wrote this one minute script where I had five different denominations. It was Baptist, Pentecostal, Big Eva, Presbyterian, and um, and a Mormon. There was a Mormon in it in the first one. And uh, the Mormon wouldn't let in. He, they wouldn't let him through the door. That was that was the joke. Right. At the, it, is it the Mormon couldn't get in the meeting. So um, we posted that on Twitter. 
I'm sorry, TikTok. And in one day it got like 90,000 views. And so that was like, okay, um, there's an audience for this type of humor. And so we wrote a second video and uh, it did okay. Didn't do quite as well, but I was like, well, you know, we'll keep going. So mm -hmm. we did a third video and a fourth video. Now we're at 23 denominational meetings. We've met over everything from the Super Bowl to, um, to Christmas and all those things. And uh, the most popular one I've ever done is when the denominations went shooting because I did, uh -huh. it was, it was a crossover thing. People who love denominational humor and people who love guns love that video. Cause I was shooting real guns in my, in my father's backyard. I was at his, my, we have a little range in my dad's backyard. So I shot a variety of firearms, each one representing a different denomination. And for some reason that, that one's over 300,000 views on YouTube, which is different than, than TikTok. Yeah. You, you, to get 300,000 views on TikTok for me was a pretty big accomplishment. So, yeah. Well, well, um, I, I apologize to anybody who tuned into this episode just because they really want the jokes. But I'm gonna, I, I want to ask a couple advice questions then because I have debated uh, more internally with about whether or not I want to even try to get on TikTok. Um, just because the only time I try to get on TikTok, and maybe this just says more about the remaining presence of sin in me than anything else. I don't know, but the the kind of content that TikTok directed me to was just so corrosive and, oh, yeah. and, and depressing. I was like, ew, I don't really want to put my stuff on this channel. So what did you do? Like, how, how do you use TikTok and use it well? That's a great question. Two thoughts. <clears throat> One, I don't have TikTok on my phone. That for me is is sort of a safeguard because TikTok is a labyrinth. You can get lost in TikTok. You can waste three hours on TikTok in in a in in, in easily because it's so it's so grabs you in. and and mm. some of the things you're right are bad, but even the things that aren't bad are sometimes so interesting and so quick that it can just drag you in. So I don't want it on my phone. Also, it, it's possibly Chinese spyware, so I don't want that on my phone either. <laughs> right. But, but uh, for the most part, what, what we have done is we have taken another avenue for uploading. So we upload to TikTok, but I don't watch TikTok. I, so that's I'm, I'm a contributor, not a consumer of TikTok. Okay. So that helps me with sort of safeguarding my heart. My wife, uh, she doesn't have it on her phone either, but she looks at it on her computer some. And, and, and she's she's more she's more comfortable with TikTok than I am. I like I said, I sort of try to stay off of it. But. Um, in fact, I would have never done TikTok if it weren't for my friend, Matt David. I want to give him a shout out. He's a member of our church. He got saved. And this is to, to tell you, if you want to, you ask the question about, should you be on TikTok? He actually got saved by somebody sharing the gospel on TikTok. That's and amazing. so, so he has a different attitude toward TikTok than I did. He was like, Keith, there's an audience here. There's people here who want to have good, clean Christian content, things that they can enjoy, things that actually, and I do have many gospel videos too that are on there that point people to Christ. He said, this is a, there's a, th this is the public square. This is where people are going. This is where we need to be doing. So he created my TikTok account for me. He posted the first video. It was at three o'clock on a Saturday. We were actually shooting. We, we, he and I had gone shooting. He posted the video while we were on the range. 12 hours later, we're at church, 9 a.m. church. Well, I guess 18 hours later, whatever it was from three o'clock till till nine o'clock the next morning. He walks into the church. He says, Keith, have you seen the TikTok video? I said, no, I don't, I don't have TikTok. He said it has 90,000 views. <laughs> and I said, oh, OK. So that was the 
but but he did that for me. And and for a while he posted all my videos. Now I post them because it just became a little bit easier for me to do it. But sure. um, but I like I said, I don't do it on my phone. That uh, no, that makes perfect sense. I just think that's a uh, it's my my audio engineer. I have a uh, high school student who loves editing. And she she hopes to go into media. Uh, her name's Madison. She's on the she's at the closing credits for every every episode once they've been edited. Uh, her her advice to me about season five, which is when this episode will air, was that we really ought to try and expand to TikTok. And I was hesitant, but I may uh, this is helpful. Maybe there's a way to uh, to to do that well. Yeah, and if you can make some shorter content, maybe take a two minute section of a, of, a, mm -hmm. of an interview, or even yourself. You know, you you you're a seminary student or graduate, so you could take and put information like, "Hey, as a as a person who went to seminary, here's five things I learned about seminary." A video like that from somebody who was at the seminary, mm -hmm. or, or here's five things, five wow. reasons why I would I would. I attended Southwestern or wherever you said I'm, I'm Southeastern, but yeah, South, yeah. So so those those types of videos are they catch people's attention. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I know, I don't know how many people are interested in this, but you and I are learning. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, uh, those, these, these are my favorite episodes where I forget that I'm recording and it's just yeah. like, hey, I've got a new friend. We're, we're chatting. Um, tell me a little bit about, uh, I mean, the, uh, hopefully anybody listening to this episode is familiar with the general Baptist stereotypes and Methodist stereotypes. And, uh, I, I, I attended an Orthodox Presbyterian church uh, in college, and you just nailed the cigar-smoking Presbyterian so well. Um, but uh, talk to me just a little bit about um, how did you kind of come up with your, your, your caricature for Big Eva? Because that's, that's such a, a broad term, and it's been used by a lot of people in the last couple of years. I've at least seen it a lot more in the last couple of years. So yeah, t tell us a bit about, more about Big Eva as a, as a character. Big Eva is Rick Warren. I mean, I, I, I'm wearing a Rick Warren shirt. I'm, I'm, I have the attitude of bigger is always better, greater, you know, greater numbers through, through bigger entertainment, you know, that, that, that attitude. And, um, I've, I've, I've given Rick Warren a hard time on my, I have a show called church soup. I don't know if you know about that, but it's my news show that I do. What and was that title one more time? Church soup is church the name. Soup. And it's a news it's it's I do it about once every three weeks where okay. I'll compile news articles from low, uh, church events and things and I'll make fun of it. Well, a few a few months ago, Rick Warren gave a posthumous degree to Charles Spurgeon, a posthumous <laughs> Master of Divinity degree, and I thought that was just the most <laughs> ironic thing in the world that that Rick Warren is going to award a degree to Charles Spurgeon. I mean, that's like that's like you know Bruce Lee getting an award from Daniel LaRusso that doesn't, you know, <laughs> you know, it's not, it just doesn't fit, but Rick Warren is the quintessential big Eva guy. And so when I channel that character, I'm channeling my inner Rick Warren, but obviously there's other guys there's, you know, your Russell Moores and guys like that who are also would be considered big Eva. Um, and also your mega church multi-site. Mm -hmm. That's what I always say. It's the Big Eva multi-site mega church and mini mall. You know, that's the the church. Um, yeah. So I think I've I've I, I'm podcasting today from uh, Thales College, and we're we're right here in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. So JD Greer and the Summit Church is our local big uh, mega church, and and I've I've heard JD preach a couple of times, and it's it's always biblical. It's just it's just biblical light if that makes sense it's like and it's it's there i know plenty of people who 
find a great home in Summit and it's 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 not bad. I just I I love the depth that that our church gets to in a in a in, to a to a, in a in a, bit, in a different way. Um, well, I, I think that is hilarious that, that Rick Warren is Big Eva. I'm a, that, that's, I got to do something with that line. The, um, I, I assume you watched, did, did you watch or were you at the SBC convention this summer with the uh, Al Mohler, Rick Warren showdown at the mic with their like debating against each other moment? I wasn't there. I'm not, our church is an SBC, okay. so I, um, I'm not even sure I could have attended, but, um, the, uh, I did, I did re- reference it on my show. I actually did a, I did a full review of the sermon that was preached, the main sermon for the event. Oh, I'm going to go find that because yeah. my wife and I both listened to that and we were kind of like, eh, oh, yeah. oh, oh I'd be interested in your thoughts if you, yeah. if you, yeah, if you hear my review, if you, if you listen to it, um, I'd be interested in your thoughts. Cause I, I do that as well. Like I said, my, my podcast is sort of all over the map. I've done everything from food reviews to, to, you know, we did like, what's the best bottled water to give your preacher. We did, we've done everything. We've done this for years and just do a variety of things. But sometimes I will listen to a sermon and, and like for the first time, listen to it and give an, an, an on-time review of the sermon. And I did that for the SBC, but, but I also am familiar with the Rick Warren thing. Yeah. I saw that and it was wild what happened there just like for for i mean it was the the convention is all is almost a typical convention year is like 90 percent business this is the first time in a long time where i mean it just felt like actually about 60 percent business and about 38 percent denominational debate strife and that was really like it was the it was it was two older statesmen of different visions of what it means to be Southern Baptist going head to head. And I, I, I think I was, I, I don't think I was alone in this. I was looking to that moment to be like, am I willing to still be call myself a Southern Baptist? Like that was at stake for me in that, in that moment. And uh, with Moeller's articulation and the result of the vote, my answer was still, yes, I'm still willing to say being Southern Baptist is a biblically faithful position for a Christian and and there's a lot of institutional stuff I love about this and but man if it's just drifting that direction I'm like that's that's I don't want any part of that but it's, it's I I was that was very exciting I, I I love that brief moment of big denominational drama yeah absolutely well um tell me just a little bit about why um where do you see the role of humor in your ministry I mean you're clearly wired to to see these insights and you you have some part of you that wants to use them so. What, where do you see uh, humor and ministry kind of coinciding? I get this question a lot, and I, 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 I think it, what, something to point out is is I've always I've always loved comedy. I've always been more apt to listen to people tell stories um, than than I have to listen to music. Like if you like driving down the road, you know, when I was a kid, I would I would I wouldn't listen to music. I would listen to comedians or I would listen to storytellers. Uh, and some of the guys that I remember specifically, one was named, um, Dennis Swanberg. He was a comedian back in the seventies and the eighties. He was a Christian comedian and he was called, I love this phrase. And I, I would love to have this applied to me one day. He was called a minister of encouragement. 
That was mm. what he called himself. He said, he, he said, I'm a minister of encouragement. And, and he would go to churches and he would give the gospel. He would evangelize, but he would do so in the context of telling stories. And a lot of them were funny stories from his youth. He did impressions of Don Knotts and Jimmy Stewart and these very famous actors. And he was a great impressionist. And he tells this, the, the stories of, 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 of growing up as a poor young boy and, and, and being able to learn these voices and get people's attention by doing impressions. And I was actually a magician in high school. I worked as a professional magician uh, from 1996 to 1998. I worked with a company called Deland Entertainment. So I've always, I've always enjoyed um, performing. If you want to say that term, mm -hmm. I've always enjoyed making people laugh or making people smile encouraging people, ministering to people in that way. Um, so that's where I would say I see value in it. I, I look at somebody like Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort is one of my favorite evangelists. And when he goes out onto the boardwalk, he always brings a little magic trick with him, or he always tells a funny story or something to get the crowd around so that he can then share the gospel. So these things are not the end. They're a means to an end, right? They're pointing mm -hmm. to something better and something more important. So I think that it's a tool some might say that's somewhat pragmatic, but I would say, listen, this is not how I preach. This is another avenue to reach people. Mm -hmm. This is not my preaching ministry. And I don't know if you've seen any of my preaching videos. I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a, a clown in the pulpit. I'm not a jokester in the pulpit. I believe that the pulpit is a sacred desk. I believe it's a place for the gospel to be proclaimed. That doesn't mean I'll never say anything funny. I have, but... I look at somebody like R.C. Sproul, who would who who would sometimes use a well-timed quip to mm. to 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 lighten the 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 heart of the people or or get their attention back, focus on what sure. he's saying. But I would never get up there and and do you know a, an hour of stand-up as a sermon and call it a yeah. sermon. So there's a dis there's a definite disconnect. And like I said, this all came about by accident because my wife is funnier than me so by doing something funny it got people to listen and i said okay well this is funny let's keep let's keep doing it so that we can build an audience and allow people to hear more of what like i said and now i've, I've had the opportunity to talk about amillennialism i did a little debate with doug wilson i've had an opportunity to to share sermons I've, i we have an academy at our church where we teach a two-year it's a free two-year ministry training program, mm. eight core classes that are all mm. taught um, either by me or, or, or someone else qualified to teach those classes. And it, it mirrors the seminary experience I had um, in the sense that the classes are built the same way the seminary classes mm. I took. You have, you have books to read and tests to take and things like that. And so we provide that. And we now have more students than we've ever had because people have been introduced to me through the humor videos. I've had pastors contact me because I make myself available because they want somebody to talk to about the struggles they're having in ministry and they don't have a close ministry friend. I've had at least four, three to four pastors reach out to me because they were having a struggle in their church and they just wanted to ask what I thought about it because they knew that I had gone through struggles in my church because I told those stories on the podcast. So that's again, ministry of encouragement, right? It's, it's, that's so Dennis Swanberg. One day I want to hold your title, sir. <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah, there we so. go. I love that. That's a, I remember a, uh, I did a pastoral internship years ago at Christ Covenant Church in Raleigh. And uh, Tom Mercer is the pastor. And he he had one night where he um, there's six of us in the internship. And he sat us all down. I was like, let's talk about humor. 
And we all immediately had like, we all had some preacher that were like, oh, I love the way he tells this joke. And um, Tom kind of stopped us on was like, that's great that y'all have funny preachers that you like, but just you want, he encouraged us that he thinks about humor as a, a double-sided weapon that can turn against you in preaching really fast because people walk away from your sermon. They don't remember the passage or the application or uh, the, the exegesis. They remember the joke. Yeah. He's like, yeah. as a preacher, you don't want them to remember you. And they remember you as the funny guy who had a good joke. Instead, you want them to remember Christ and you want them to remember his word. And so he's and he's still to this day. I've always been attentive to like when he does crack a joke. And oh, man, uh, he he. <laughs> He he uh, he made a, an allusion to the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and he got Aslan's animal species wrong. And we've never been able to let him forget. Uh, he'll he'll go to his like we'll, we might tag his tombstone someday with uh, Aslan the Tiger welcomed you into eternity. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> I don't think he ever listens to my show, but if he does, he'll 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 have the shout out. But uh, yeah, I love the but that that's an amazing way to if you've got the and and some people just don't have the gift to do comedy. Sure. Uh, and, and you clearly do. I mean, and you the, that performance element is itself a gift that God has given you to be able to use for his kingdom. So I just I love hearing about the way you've been able to kind of fold that in. And it's interesting to me that that comes after many years of full time ministry. That's not a this is not a gimmick that like is launching a ministry or anything like that. This is something that's happening inside and, and maybe adjacent to inside your work as a pastor. And uh, that just that that that's really cool. Yeah. Um, and and I'll add just one thought. I mean, to to go take too much time. But that I, I, I appreciate you said that because this isn't um, like I said, like you said, it's not a gimmick. It's not a, it's not, you know, ministry is is my life. And this is what I've been doing ever since I got saved is in some way, shape or form been in ministry. This is just, a, you know. I jokingly say sometimes nobody cared what I had to say until I put on the bow tie. Right. So like, so like, so, so <laughs> if I ever write a book, that'll be the title. Nobody cared until I put on the bow tie, you know, that yep. for some yep. reason that got people's attention. And I said, okay, well, that's fine. And, 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 and some people might think that's wrong and say, Oh, well, all he wants is attention. No, all I want to do is proclaim Christ and preach the gospel. And this is, this is an Avenue. Humor is an Avenue to make people laugh, develop relationships, encourage people. And I have had a ton of people, write me letters and say how much they appreciate that I made them laugh or that they, you know, I brought levity. Methodists don't like me and I understand. <laughs> <laughs> no, even I've had Methodists who love me. They, they, they know I'm just poking fun and, and, and especially good solid Methodists. And there are, I I'm a Calvinist, but I do believe there are brothers and sisters oh. in the Methodist church who see the, the downward trend of their denomination. They understand I'm not poking at them. I'm poking at the reality of what's happening in their in their denomination and 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 it and it's not funny in the sense that what's happening but you can you can make fun of something that's not funny and that's what points out the fact that it's not funny yeah yeah and it, it, it points to i mean it and and so much of it comes depends on where you're standing because i'm i'm sure our, uh, our our i'm sure progressive christians would listen to both of us and say like y'all totally misunderstand what it means to love your neighbor and we would both look at them and say, you misunderstand what it means. To Absolutely. And I, but it, they're the same thing. And the same thing is happening with inside wings of the Anglican communion and 
Uh, I, as far as I understand it, the Episcopalian Church is basically a wash. I mean, I, I don't know that there's much hope left there. But uh, the I, I took found great encouragement in the response from uh, the African community, the African bishops a couple years ago, uh, arriving in force to uh, American Methodism. And yeah, they they vote. saved Methodism at least for a season, for sure. Wow. Well, yeah. I wanted to ask you about that too, because uh, I I do love that you uh, you you portray um, the the United Methodist Church like literally, and I, I I have yet to see any of your videos where I'm like, nope, don't know any Methodist who said that, or nope, don't yeah. know where they put that on their website. Like the caricatures you draw are they're literally what they say about themselves. And I've I had a debate tournament um, a couple years ago up at uh, Harvard that I was taking students to, and as we're walking around Harvard, I mean you. There are all these historic churches and they're they're flying Black Lives Matter and rainbow flags. And depending on if you're there anywhere near June, like it just gets more exciting and crazy. But I mean, I just I, I did make a point to uh, just help my students be aware. Like you just need to be aware that whatever you think about Christianity, like all of these churches are something different. And they are two, three, in some cases, 400 years old, but they're no longer a um, Unitarian Congregationalist church. <laughs> Yeah. was never Christian to begin with, but now it's especially no longer Christian. And so I just think it's, um, you're, you, you draw your videos kind of highlight the distinction. Um, I read a sociologist who I think is at Baylor, but I couldn't remember his name in order to time to write it down for the notes. Uh, but he was making this really interesting argument that uh, our faith is literally from a, an academic study of religion perspective. It seems like Christianity is dividing into a biblical Christianity and a progressive Christianity to the extent that maybe in 10, 20, 100 years from now, we will look back and say, oh, that's when these two religions kind of diverged. Uh, would you agree with that or, or do you think that's wrong or what, what are your thoughts on that as a, as a conceptual framework for, for our moment in, in Christendom, as it were? No, I, th I think that's true. And I, I would I would say it's not. Now, I, I think that ha I think what you're describing happened 100 years ago. Mm. I don't think it happened. I don't think that's happening now. I think we are seeing the result of what happened. I think if it, 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 when this is studied from a historical perspective, if 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 Jesus tarries and we're here for another three, four hundred, five hundred years and, and, and our descendants study us as their ancestors, I think they're going to see mm. that <clears throat> some of the major shifting happened um in in the in the early 20th century really later later 19th century early 20th century um when the churches began to give up their foundational theological moorings and and began to teach the social uh benefits of Christ without teaching the theological truths of Christ. And, and that's what we see is, is we see what, what, what became known as the social gospel where Christianity is all about loving and, 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 and doing good and, 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 and providing help and, and being a benefit to people, but without Christ. Did you ever see the movie time changer? Maybe. It was I, a, I do watch a lot of sci-fi, so I'm trying to remember which one that is. Have, well, well, this was actually a Christian. This was a Christian oh. movie. It was it was one of those sort of B quality Christian movies. You know, sort of your. I try to avoid those, but so I may not have seen this one. Well, I do too, but this particular one caught my attention because it was about time travel, and I'm a big uh -huh. sci-fi nerd. So, um, what it was was there was a a seminary professor in the 1800s who gets the opportunity to go forward in time. 
and to see the results of his teaching, because he was teaching that you could have Christ's social benefits without having Christ's theological teachings. I have seen this. It's been you a have, long time, but I have seen this. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and and even though that movie is, you know, not a great film in the sense of acting and things like that, I think it told an important truth. It showed where the where the 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 marked change in historic Christianity happened, because what happened is the church became functionally anti supernatural, mm-hmm. and so it began to jettison the ideas of things like miracles and and Christ's resurrection and and Christ's atonement and the justification that comes through faith because of the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ. Those things were put aside and replaced with a gospel that doesn't save a social gospel that doesn't save. And what we see now a hundred years later is we see entire denominations that have no theological foundation. And therefore they, they will, they will adopt anything the world needs them to adopt to appear nice or kind. They will adopt anything that the world tells them is loving. And the world currently is telling them that what loving is to, is to affirm sin and to affirm, uh, uh, self-mutilation and things like that, because those things are, are uh, supposedly expressions of love. And so that's a, that I would say we are, we are seeing the results of what you described. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're probably right. I mean, that's uh, if I'm remembering church history too correctly, that's the fundamentalism, modernism controversy. Exactly. And I think it was it Machen, if I'm mm-hmm. thinking correctly, who, who, who... Machen, uh, Christianity and liberalism. I mean, he's, He's one of those folks who I'd, I'd put him and C.S. Lewis kind of up there together as folks who you read them today and you're just like, oh, my goodness. I don't know if they would have cl- either would have claimed the gift of prophecy, but they certainly feel prophetic when we go back and look at him today. Absolutely. I was, I was yep. teaching a, uh, at a class this morning where uh, my, my student and I were talking through uh, Tolkien's essay on fairy stories. And we got into a lengthy discussion about the, the difference between supernatural and natural because uh, Tolkien makes the argument that God is supernatural and that fairies are are natural in the sense of like a fairy tale and the the elves and so on, and and in that uh, it just kind of struck me that Angus fits what you're describing. I mean that the the claims of the Bible are supremely supernatural. Yeah. I mean there there is a natural order. There is a grace given in creation. Uh, there are natural laws that are, as far as we can tell, always operative within this frame. And yet God himself is beyond that frame. And if, if he is an omniscient, omnipotent, uh, loving being, then he is outside of anything that we recognize inside this frame. And so I wonder if we could even think of if that shift is also a shift from recognizing that Christianity is a religion that is founded upon a supernatural premise, that, that God exists and he has spoken, and that, that tells us, the initial awareness of reality and then trying to fit that inside a natural frame cuts off everything that doesn't fit inside of or everything that anything that is beyond nature that 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 move into modernism refuses to look at anything outside of nature um yeah anyway that's all <laughs> we could we could probably go on about that for a long time like that's uh we, we might have to i might have to get you back on the show this is this is really fun um, yeah, I, lo- I love church history. I love talking about these things. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm actually teaching church history at uh, my church right now. We're uh, 
we're, we're doing a first of four parts. Uh, the first part is uh, we're doing ancient Christianity and we're about to have a look at all the early missionary stories with Gregory Thaumaturgus and, and Patrick of Ireland and, and um, oh, uh, Boniface is the other guy I wanted to touch on. We're, we're not going to read the new, that new book, The Boniface Option, but, but I definitely <laughs> want to get the story of Boniface chopping down the tree. That'll be really fun. Uh, let me ask you one last uh, comedy-related question, and we'll probably have to draw this to a close. But um, it, it, I am curious about your thoughts on this. Is it is it harder to do comedy or to even find humor in a politically correct age? I just I remember, I remember even ten years ago, shows seemed like they were funnier. <laughs> shows today just seem like they're not nearly as funny. So I'm curious, as somebody who's actively doing comedy, is does our politically correct atmosphere make it just more challenging to, to do humor? Um, well, the answer, the simple answer, does the politically correct climate make it harder to do comedy? The answer is yes, because in, in our world today, someone like Mel Brooks would not be able to even begin to produce uh, things that he was able to produce because it just, it would it, it, it wouldn't be tolerated it would be it would be insensitive and what's funny about and i mentioned mel brooks because what's funny about him even though i know there's a lot of crassness in, in his humor and things what what he did do was he held up a mirror against things like racism mm -hmm. and he held up a mirror against things that we would see as 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 things you shouldn't joke about and he said no if you joke about them it takes away their power mm -hmm. if you joke about this thing it takes away its power and and therefore you get something that points to the fact of how ridiculous racism is from the virtue of, of humor and humor knocks it down and makes it no longer a powerful thing. And so 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 with that, what we have done is by being politically correct and by shielding ourselves from humor and by insulating ourselves, we've shot ourselves in the proverbial foot because we've taken away one of the tools that we could use to actually fight against genuine injustices and genuine mm -hmm. problems. And so um, most comedians recognize this as a problem. They recognize things like, um, you, you know, I, I know this is way off the subject, but what happened at the Oscars a few years ago with mm -hmm. Chris Rock is absolutely deplorable and and i you know i consider myself not a not a comedian but a comedically minded person and um and, and so i could see how that changed the entire atmosphere if i stand up here and say something that offends someone are they going to attack me physically mm, sure right? that changes sure. that i actually did a podcast on that called the slap heard around the world because i wanted to talk about how that changes the atmosphere of 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 mm -hmm. standing up and saying something that may offend someone and, and the fear that that person may physically attack you. And it's happened. It's actually happened. And this has been documented that in, um, in, in some comedy clubs, there have been, uh, uh, what they would say, uh, n not mirrors, but, a uh, uh, copycat that guys get up and get offended and hit or try to attack the comedian sure. because, because they saw it on a national stage. And, and so I know that's really not the direction you were going, but that's one of the problems, right? Is, yeah. is, is um so in a politically correct are there times when i say yeah i shouldn't say that because it, it because of the climate rarely but it does come up you know i'm more concerned with what honors christ i'm more concerned mm -hmm. with what's true um like for instance i'll give you here's a here's a good one uh 
few weeks ago, I was doing a church soup. And if you've never seen church soup, imagine Saturday Night Live weekend update, but about church. Okay, okay that's that's the model, right? All right I'm so, going to subscribe when this episode is over. This yeah, sounds like well, a funny yeah. Um, well, I did. Uh, Wayne Brady, who's a comedian, came out as pansexual. I saw something about that. Yeah. Well, I had a hilarious joke about it. But after do it, I, I, I recorded it. I said it. I showed it to my wife and we both sat down and we said, this is not good. Not because it was politically incorrect, but because I know that there are kids in my church who watch my show. Oh, sure. And so for me, I'm more concerned about the fact that all of our church members watch my shows. All of our church members often watch them with their kids. And while the joke was funny, <laughs> it was not something that I would want to say to a child. And so I'm careful about that. I'm more careful about knowing who my audience is and knowing that my audience begins with people in my church. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't want to do anything that they would have to, that they would have to explain to their kids or, or something. So I'm, I'm more concerned about that than I am yeah. with political correctness. No, I think that's really helpful because I think there's certainly, uh, I mean, hope anybody, no one who listens to my show regularly will be surprised at all. If I say I'm squarely, I, I, I put myself somewhere on the right with, uh, traditionalist conservatism in the vein of Russell Kirk and, and T.S. Eliot's and, and those and Brad Berzer and other folks of that ilk. And um, but I think sometimes folks on the right who talk about comedy and humor, they, they almost want to they, they'll talk about wanting to like recover a shock jock value for the sake of shock jock. And they'll they'll defend freedom of speech in the sense like to the extent that like they go way past any level of decency or reasonable mm -hmm. caution or discretion. I think what you just described, I mean, it reminds me of um, the Apostle Paul's discussion of Christian liberty. And he's like, I can do all things, but should I do all things? Like that really is the question. And I, I think there are plenty of, there are plenty of things I'm just like, nope, I would not. I, there are things I could go read about. I could go study deeply. And I'm interested but honestly those things are bad for me i yeah. should not study them in deep deep detail it's enough for me just to know yeah that that's not what i'm called to do uh, so i think you just i i think you took I, I i didn't have any particular angle i was fishing for on that on that on that question i think you answered that really well i, I just it's a there, there's got to be a way to appreciate humor and to see the hilarious ridiculousness of this world god has given us uh, without going just down this this crudity level, I mean, and 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 there there may be a time and a place when the audience is right and it's justified, but I think like you just gave us a great example of the kind of clarity that uh, uh, we really ought to have and think about questions of of humor. Um, well, Pastor Fosky, uh, let me uh, let me close uh, out with asking you uh, your thoughts about a, uh, a verse in Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 17, 22, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Uh, does, does this verse give us a, a, a biblical foundation for appreciating the hilariousness of the world? Yeah. And, and I, 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 I memorized that passage in the King James, which says a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Mm. And, and, and I love that way of saying it because it does, that was actually something that, that Dennis Swanberg going back to him. And, and, and by the way, on your last question, Dennis Swanberg, I would never be afraid to let my kids listen to 
I would never be afraid because he was always his, he, he was hilarious and clean and it was good and it was solid stuff. Um, but he used to say that he said, you know, the Bible says a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. So I hope that what I've done for you tonight is good for your heart and that it's been like a medicine that this humor, that this laughter that I've provided has done your heart good, like a medicine. So, yeah, I think that is definitely something again, as I try to carry on his, you know, the, the ideas that he, that he fostered, I think that verse is, is very valuable for sure. Excellent. Well, Pastor Foskey, thank you so much for, for joining me today. How can people find and follow your work online? Easiest way is to go to YouTube and uh, you don't have to go to YouTube. Just type in calvinistpodcast.com and that directs directly to our YouTube page. So calvinistpodcast.com. And when you get to the YouTube page, make sure you hit subscribe and then go to a playlist, hit play and let it play overnight so that it numbs. <laughs> if you like a video, hit thumbs up. If you don't like a video, hit thumbs down twice. And, um, there's, that's a joke too, because if you hit thumbs, <laughs> if you hit thumbs down twice, it goes away. But that's but it, okay, so so anyway, if you if you if you would go onto our YouTube page, that's that's the best way to see. If you want to hear the podcast, because we do we do a weekly podcast. If you want to hear it, just go to any podcast platform, Apple, Google, or anywhere, and just type in "conversations with a Calvinist" or my name, Keith Foskey, and it'll come up. You can follow me on Twitter at your Calvinist, as you mentioned earlier. If you want to interact with me, that's probably the best way to do it is through Twitter. But if you have a, if you want to write a letter or send me a message. You can send me a message at calvinistpodcast at gmail.com. That's specifically for the show. And I take show requests, interview requests, things like that at calvinistpodcast at gmail.com. Fantastic. I'll, uh, I, I might spend a moment thinking about uh, what I would love to see the denominations debate about. I might send you a couple of ideas for, the, the, for a future episode. I just still love that as a, as a gimmick. It's a great and you could run you could run that for a long time. There's a lot of things these denominations are silly about. We have a big project we're working on. Um, did you see our one? The denominations go play Jeopardy. Did you see that? I did. Well, we have a different one. It's a different game show that we're working on. I won't give too much away, but it's it's probably the most ambitious project that my wife and I have. Put, tried to put together and it's going to take a little while to produce but once it's produced i think it's going to be really funny so so look be looking forward to that fantastic we'll do that well thank you keith for coming on the show and thank you listeners for joining us for another episode of the optimistic curmudgeon my episode or i'm sorry let me start that over for editing purposes thank you listeners for joining us for another episode of the optimistic curmudgeon my guest this episode has been pastor keith foskey of sovereign grace family church at your Calvinist. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Until next time, seek the good, discover the true, and love the beautiful. You've been listening to another episode of The Optimistic Curmudgeon. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. If you want to let me know what you thought about the episode, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Just search for The Optimistic Curmudgeon. Your host is Josh Herring. Madison Kay is our audio engineer. Until next time, seek the good, pursue the true, and love the beautiful.